0: This episode of the Folklore Podcast Book Club is an audio version of an episode originally made for YouTube. To see the original with any pictorial references, please visit www.youtube.com slash Folklore Podcast and click on the Book Club playlist. Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast Book Club, YouTube-based programming from the Folklore Podcast, which looks at books, authors and publishers whose work intersect with the field of folklore. In today's episode, I'm joined by author Tom Phillips, who talks about his book Forest Folk Tales for Children. Welcome, Tom, to the Folklore Podcast Book Club. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for fun. having me. Oh, it's you. an absolute pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. So we are going to talk today about your folklore book for children, which we can both wave at the camera now, at, <laughs> Forest, Folk Tales, Forest Folk Tales for Children, which is published by the History Press. Uh, and I'm going to hazard a guess that because you are an ex-primary school teacher, you chose to go with the children's Folklore book, rather than uh, going in a different direction. So, in order to see whether I'm right or wrong in this fact, I'm going to ask you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and that background that you have, and uh, how you have now moved from that into storytelling. Yes.
1: So, um, I started. I grew up in a house full of kids. My mum was a child minder. My dad worked at the local primary. Then when I turned 18, uh, my first full-time job was a teaching assistant in a primary school. Um, And it just kind of stumbled on from there. I worked in outdoor ed quite a bit. I spent some time in Wales, um, various places. And then I did my teacher qualification when I was a bit older, um, mature student, I wouldn't have classed myself as a mature student. Um, it took me five years to complete a three-year course because I had a two-year break. Uh, teaching, although I loved the whole working with children thing, I knew I was good with a class of children. It was all the extra bits around it that I, I struggled with. And so I thought at the end of the day, let's get a degree. Let's, let's you know, that that'll helped me go forward. I became a teacher. Um, and... Growing up, I always liked stories. I always liked, I remember my dad reading the Enid Blyton Brer Rabbit stories to me. Um, I always liked storytelling. I loved the Jim Henson Storyteller um, program that was on back in the late 80s. And as a a teacher, I started to tell some of these stories on a Friday afternoon to my class. The last 10 minutes or so, I know I'll tell you a story. And I'd leave them on a cliffhanger and then you'd have to wait another week. And and I really enjoyed it and started looking into it and realised it's not just for kids that you can do it. storytelling to adults. And so I went along to Nottingham, to the old trip to Jerusalem, where um, Pete Davis, who's no longer with us, he ran a storytelling club and I had my first go at telling stories to adults and, um, the 10-minute story went on for 20 minutes. I nearly broke an uh, invaluable fertility chair by jumping on it. Um, it was quite a, an interesting moment. I jumped on it and everyone gasped. <gasps> I had no idea what I'd done until afterwards. Um, but I got the bug. And So I carried on telling and I, I travelled around and told at these various clubs. Um and in the background, I was writing. I have always written. Um, I remember at school, I, I liked writing, but I never finished stories. That was my biggest thing. I, I started writing, got excited, never finished. I got a few um, children's stories, a few picture books that I would worked on and they would just sat there kind of thing. One day I might get it published. And then teaching came to an end. I... I it'd run its course I had enough with all the extra you know wasn't having a weekend my kids weren't seeing me that kind of thing so I jacked all that in started working at an events venue for a couple of years building on experience of working in pubs and restaurants for for 10 years and then moved into the heritage sector I now um I'm the operations supervisor at the moira furnace museum in the middle of the national forest and throughout all of this i was storytelling and i, I was writing and then um someone else who uh, you'll know and a lot of storytelling enthusiasts will know uh, dave tong a friend of mine he announced that he was writing this book for history press and i thought "Ooh, i could do that these are folk tales for children I wanna write children's stuff. I have written children's stuff I've just not got it published. So I hit Dave up for the contacts and um he said, Oh yeah, yeah, I I, I thought about you where, um when they were talking to me. So here's the here's the contacts. Good luck. I fired off three stories to the history press one after another going, I'd love to write this book about Leicestershire folktales for children. Because I live in Leicestershire, born and bred in Leicestershire. I know all these quirky little things, these little folktales from where, where I live as as well as the rest of Leicestershire. And after three stories were sent, the, the history press came back and said, yeah, we like your style. Um, we'll, we'll let you write the book. And so I started writing Leicestershire folktales for children. And I just found it came really easy it's just that whole storytelling I, I, I told the story in words the way I would tell the story orally and that came out and that was a success I did a book launch with that um, and a couple of illustrators that I worked with um, and then I started working at Moira Furnace Museum and I wanted another book out there and I had the idea I work in the middle of the National Forest why don't i see if they want forest folk tales for children you know i'm based in a forest uh, there was a, a festival that happens down the road from where i work called the timber festival it was supposed to be its third year third year fourth year this year unfortunately with everything that's happened it's um it didn't happen but i said to the history press i said i've got contacts at this festival i can do a book launch at this timber festival it's all about woodlands and forests and nature and that kind of thing they said yeah that's great we'll, we'll go with it although there's other people had the same idea similar idea we'll, we'll go with you um, however this was october the festival was the beginning of july of the next year they wanted the final copies by the first of january so i two and a half months to write 22,000 words for for the book. Needless to say, my family didn't see much of me over Christmas. Mm. I was sat on my bed with books piled around me, folktale books and trying. The hardest part wasn't working out the the stories, but working out what forests I was going to include. It's not until you start looking at a map of of Britain, you realise how many forests there are and some forests that you didn't even realize were forests and so um, that's it really it came out last year and it's been steadily ticking over since then and every now and then i get a lovely review in and it's it's really exciting and and then someone asked me to do this and you know it's it's fantastic
0: yeah and it's a it is a lovely book and i do like um the uh, the illustrations for this which are kind of woodcat woodcut style um i think yeah. work really well um now you you break the book down into themes don't you so i've just turned to ghostly beasts for example uh king's curses and colludas fairies dragons and so on you've got a theme per forest
1: yeah so what i what i did is the reference books i used the the one I like the most, the one I keep going back to, it's, um, let's see, checking the bibliography, it's Simpson, The Westwood and Simpson, The Law of the Land. Law of the land. I Love yep. that book. Yeah, beautiful book. Um, and I always, that's my go to book. And I started looking through there and a few of the other folktale books that I had. And I noticed that there weren't really many folk tales based in forests at first and I'm thinking why is that I think well that goes back to the fact that forests are scary and we stayed out of forests and forests you know the settlements cropped up around the edge of forests but you've got the going back to the the well-known stories like Little Red Riding Hood it's there telling you to stay out of the forest else the big bad wolf will get you it's those kind of things and Hansel and Gretel the scary forest so I thought, well, OK, let's get the stories around the edge of the forest, because a lot of them happen in the forest. And then I started to find there were themes, natural themes. The first time it twigged was I was looking at uh, Gainsborough and Great Dolby Forest in Yorkshire. And I suddenly realised there were a load of stories about Hobbes. Um, for those who don't know what hob is, it's, it's essentially a house elf. J.K. Rowling nicked the idea for, from that. She took that and renamed them little hairy men that, that live in your house. You don't know they're there. They tidy up. And they get very offended if you try and clothe them because they go around naked. And I thought, oh, there's one here and there's one here and there's one here. And they all cluster around the, these forests. And then I thought, well, North Wales is, is dragons. It's got to be dragons. And North Wales is, is covered in low-lying forests that are actually rainforests because of the amount of rain. And then I noticed there were witches and wizards in um, around Monmouth and um, the Forest of Dean there, and, and so it just kind of it it grew from there really. And and I thought, well, that would be a great way to to chapter the book really, having these themes based around these forests.
0: So, how did you generate the style of stories that you use when you're telling? For children because some stories can be quite dark some can be quite complex and it depends on your sources and where you're getting stories from whether you're collecting them orally whether they're coming from books like law of the land for example uh, and other places um, and you want a consistent style then for, for your style of telling uh, so how did you adapt the stories that you're collecting to form this collection?
1: Um. I'm a big believer when it, in storytelling, you tell the stories that speak to you. Um, by all means, try a story. And if it doesn't work, it falls flat. That, that's fine. That, that's not your story. That's not one for you to tell. Um, and that's fine. So all the stories that I know anyway, and that I tell, they tend to be ones that resonate with me. Ones that have a bit of humor a bit of darkness to them. I I think it's very important for children to be scared um, whilst reading stories or listening to stories because it's a safe space. They can be scared within the story and learn how to cope with being scared. And then when they're scared in real life, they know how to deal with it because they've learned through the story. Um, And then for the, for the style of the stories in my book, uh, it's just a case of finding the story, I'm just playing with it in in my head it's just it goes round and round in my head and you know how will I tell this how will I make this relatable for an 8 9 year old I'm lucky that I've got a 7 year old daughter um who's very uh literate and very um she was speaking before she was one you know <laughs> you know um my four-year-old boy's a bit too young, but m- my daughter, I would try these stories on her. Although she was younger than my target audience, she had the understanding, you know. not to brag or anything, but this morning we'd uh, invented a new game instead of badminton. It was badminton where we, uh, we threw William Shakespeare quotes at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I was amazed my seven-year-old daughter knew them, but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so it just kind of develops from there. And I guess when I get typing, I just kind of get in the zone and boom. Some of the stories in the book are traditional. They, they're pretty much lifted from the page of where I've found them and tweet and put in my own words. This is my own telling. And some of the stories are stories that are very personal to me. So the Robin Hood story for
0: example
1: Hmm. um i wanted to tell a story of robin hood that wasn't a regular story people wouldn't have heard now this story i first heard told by pete davies who was all i've already mentioned from nottingham now he sadly passed away a few years ago so, so i tell this story in memory of him and the story is actually a jack story with a boggart But he told it, because he's from Nottingham, as Robin Hood and a giant cyclops. And it just works. It's comedic, it's scary in parts, but the hero wins. It links up a time before Robin Hood was famous to to then when he meets his merry men and becomes famous. It, It kind of works. And although it's not an actual Robin Hood story, I think, especially with children, the sources to me don't really matter it's if it's a good story and it fits and it works that's all children really want
0: yeah so So you've you've got a fair few themes that you've that you've told stories on i'll just run through the ones from the contents page of the book so you've covered hobs dragons fairies king's curses and colluders ghostly beasts robin hood as you say witches and wizards, trees, and the green man. So the, there's obviously a couple of themes here. Um, the, there's a kind of a nature theme, obviously. It is forest fol- tales, after all. And, and kind of a bit of a supernatural creature theme there with ghostly beasts, hobbs, uh, dragons, and so on. Uh, which was your particular favourite to work with? Um, I
1: always like dragon stories um for a long time my logo was a dragon I have a dragon um he's not here he's he's flown off somewhere Dennis my dragon um so I like those but that I do like although I like the nature stories I do like the supernatural side of things um I am a skeptic however I I'm a skeptilever I want to believe although I'm skeptic you know the place I managed Moira furnace it's 200 plus years old and it was lived in up until the 1970s and I've done a few paranormal investigations there and there is definitely something there you know I've had a door slam on me and that kind of thing um so I really enjoy those spooky ones I think my favorite story out of all of them was the it was the beasts in Thetford Forest um I can't remember what I called it now, but, uh, you know, I wrote this book two years ago. It's one of, it's one of those, you, you do interviews and things and you think, Oh, I can't remember now. It's been a while since, uh, uh, what's it called? The legend of the beast of Southery. Um, again with Thetford forest, um, being quite a new forest, uh, I had to you know, be a bit fast and loose with, with, the locations but southery is right at the edge of thetford and that kind of thing um but i really like that it's it's in the vein of uh black shook and you know the shag dog stories of the big black beasts and that phantom fun and I, I like that i like the whole they go from menacing horrible snarling creatures to a protector of the righteous Uh, I quite quite like that. that was my
0: favourite. Excellent. So by way way of illustration, I'm going to ask you to tell one of the stories from the book. You don't have to read it. You can tell it in your own style. You are a storyteller after all. Um, Because I want to use that to to talk a little bit afterwards about the the way that you follow on from these stories. So um, I'm going to mute myself for a couple of minutes uh, and just give you an opportunity to tell one of the stories from the book
1: So away you go thank you so i'm going to tell uh, this one it's the gwaiba of penmachno and it's a story from north wales uh, i love wales wales is one of my favorite places to be north wales is beautiful rugged and quite sparse up on the the mountaintops now, in North Wales, they call dragons Gwybers, and this comes from uh, snakes, adders. It's believed that if an adder drinks the milk of a human mother, then it turns into a dragon, a Gwyber. And there was one such Gwyber, a huge creature it was. It had decided to make its home, high on a cliff, above a river, near Betws-y-Coed. And down below, the villagers were worried. You see, the dragon would often fly off and pick out the cattle from the field and feast on the horses and the sheep and maybe burn some of the crops. Nobody wanted to do anything about it because they were too scared. And then then a rogue, an outlaw, came to town and saw a chance to redeem himself. Maybe he could become a hero in this part of town so he decided he was going to go and slay the dragon but being quick of wit he decided to go and ask the local wise man who it was told could foresee your death and he thought if i go to the wise man and he tells me that dragon's going to kill me then i'm not going to go and try and kill this dragon so he goes to the wise man and he sits down he says oh wise man he said please tell me how am i going to die and the wise man He stroked his long beard, because all wise men have to have long beards. And he said, you are going to die through poisoning. It will course through your veins and stop your heart. And the man left and he thought to himself, hmm. Hold on. Aguaiba comes from an adder and adders are poisonous. They, they've got venom. Maybe there's something in this, he thought. I know. i will disguise myself and I'll go back again and ask him a second time. And if he still says I'm going to die through venom, then I know I shouldn't do it. And so he disguises himself with a pair of glasses and a fake big nose. And off he goes back into the old man's hut. And he asked the old man how he's going to die. And the old man once again stroked his beard. And he said, Oh, you, you are going to die through a broken neck. It'll be shattered in many places. And so the man left and he took off his fake uh, glasses and his nose. And he thought, what a crock of rubbish. This, this, This old man doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll try one more time just to be sure that he's talking rubbish and so this time he dresses in a dress long hair and bosoms and off he goes and he sits there and he says wise man how am i going to die please and the wise man stroked his beard and he said you are going to drown the water will fill your lungs and push the air out and you will rest at the bottom of the water and so the man left and he de-robed and he thought what a load of rubbish i'm safe i'm not going to get killed by a dragon and so he took his sword his trusty sword and he went to attack the dragon now he didn't go the normal route to the top of the cliff he decided to climb up the cliff straight up now the the guayba surely wouldn't expect this he thought but as he mantled the top of the cliff he hauled himself up to see the dragon face to face with him, waiting for him. The dragon, the guiber, as quick as a snake, for that's what it once was, bit the man on his shoulder, and he felt the venom start to pulse through his veins. Oh, he cried, and he let go of the cliff and he tumbled down and backwards and round through the air until his head met a rock and he snapped his neck clean in two. But just before the life left him, his body hit the river below and there in the water his lungs began to fill with liquid and the air left his body and poisoned with a broken neck, he drowned. so
0: ends my story. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Now, what I like about the stories, excuse me, what I like about the stories in this book is that they are followed by a couple of other things. So after each story, you have a little bit that says, did you know? And then you have a bit on the other side that says, why don't you? So, So one of these is what some extra facts about the area in which you set the story and those sorts of things. Is that right?
1: Yes. It's just little interesting tidbits and that kind of stuff. Um, So talking with the history press, uh, they said, Oh, we're trying we'd like, we want a bit of a different um, feel to, to these books going forward. They're going to be hardback rather than paperback. We're going to use in-house illustrators. We're going to source the illustrators rather than you sourcing them. Um, and we want to be a bit more interactive. And can you use your uh, teacher background to do this? How about some facts and things? So I thought, ideal, that I can do that. And so, yeah, the, the Did You Know is, is something based around the area. So, like I said, the Snowdonian forests actually being rainforests. So something I didn't know, interesting fact. And then the Why Don't You, again, that comes from, being a teacher and from having kids of my own and i want them to to be inspired by the stories and, and go out into the forest and try these things so the one again from in wales it's why don't you go and fight a log dragon with a stick um i'm always careful as well to put little caveats and you know don't fight each other and don't poke each other in the eye that kind of thing yes yes. (laughs) try and get them to to get out there and 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 play in nature and just enjoy being in those
0: forests yes that's it it's it's exploring the environment isn't it It, it's encouraging learning through play is a very important thing Uh, and then you have things like uh yes try to fight it with your friends using sticks as swords Remember, though, you need to work together to overcome this foul beast. Not hit each other with your swords. Teamwork is key. So, yes, it's teaching little lessons <laughs> as well. I, I guess this is your teacher background kind of sneaking through, isn't it? Uh, but, but I think <laughs> that's brilliant um, yes. because folk tales are are little kind of nuggets of education. After all, you know they they are used so many times to teach lessons. And that's a good way of of enhancing and establishing those lessons and things, isn't It's just by giving some extra activities that people can try.
1: There's a wonderful animation um, narrated by Sir Ian McKellen that I absolutely love. And we've seen it. It's about uh, the importance of stories and storytelling. And it tells of... uh, how the first storytellers came to be and it was cavemen and they go out and they, they fight this uh, saber-toothed cat and one of them gets killed and the other one manages to to kill the saber-toothed cat and they go back and they, they tell this story and that story uh, becomes ingrained in in tradition and folklore of that tribe and they spread it around And but the key to that story is be careful out there the world is big and dangerous and it shows how we learn as you, as you say from stories from folk tales and and that's why they they last and that's the enduring nature of folk tales we pass these on to our children and and, and they learn from them and hopefully learning important valuable lessons that will keep them safe going forward and even as adults you know we read them and get oh, yeah, that, that, that's a metaphor for this or, the, yes. you know, yeah, yeah okay. And, and we relate to them in that way.
0: Excellent. So what's next? Are you uh, tempted to write for the adult market or are you sticking with uh, children's writing? Stick with kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's next?
1: Uh, I need to i'm playing with an idea at the moment um speaking with another friend author friend of mine cat weatherall um maybe familiar with her work she's a fantastic author um a good friend and she's suggested i do something along the lines of um folk tales for that dads can tell to their kids mm. um we've had a lot of story a lot of books about um females, her, uh, heroines and goddesses and we've got most of those and um, me and my daughter read most of those, you know the rebel, uh, bedtime stories of rebel girls and that kind of stuff and Santi uh, Gresham's um, Goddesses and Heroines that's a great book if you want to check that out but um, yes yeah, so I'm playing with that idea but I've also for oh, how many years now well over a decade if not 15 years or so been trying to write a novel uh, the first of three i've got a whole trilogy planned out in my head and i've spoken to many people about it i've got the first 12 13 chapters written which i want to go back and rewrite and the idea is to to finally one day get that finished try and get that published a proper book aimed at the the nine to twelve year old market and, and and carry on and I'd also like to one day again these are all uh, one day I'd like to get some of my shorter stories and my picture books um, published but just hoping that books like these help me if I go to publishers be able to say I've done that there's yeah. an example of what I've written um,
0: absolutely so yeah. absolutely that's 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 a great thing too to be able to do that and a good selection to be working on there as well, isn't it? I I wish you every success with all of those. They'd be absolutely wonderful. You You must've had a chance because this has been out for a little while to do some live events using this book uh, before we went into the kind of not live event scenario that we're in at the moment. Um, How did that go? How was it received? How does it work with a, with an audience of kids in front of you?
1: Yeah. So, um, i've done a few uh i always juggle work with storytelling so i'm not a full-time storyteller it's i can never quite make the bills uh, pay the bills with my storytelling especially with the wife and, and, and kids so i've always worked um so the events have been sporadic but when they have happened it's been in schools and that kind of things and it's worked really well. What I tend to do is maybe tell one or two stories from here and then tell other stories that are similar, of a similar nature, that have nature links and that kind of thing, or might have a dragon in and say, Well, you know, I've got a whole chapter on dragons, that kind of thing. So the kids really, really engage and i've got quite an engaging way of telling to kids i just kind of get a child audience you know i know some people say oh children oh oh," a child audience scares me for me 100 kids in front of me i'm happy give me a room of adults that's when the nerves creep in (laughs) (laughs) that's when i get worried (laughs) Because I'm sitting there thinking, are they judging me? What's going on? At least with mm-hmm. kids, if they get bored, you know, because they're sat there picking the nose, looking at the ceiling. You know, it's really obvious. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he has gone down well. Um, and, yeah, hopefully when things start to return to normal, I can get out and do a bit more storytelling and, and promote the book a bit more.
0: Let's hope so. Yeah, in the meantime, if people want to have a look at your book uh, your work and other bits and pieces have you got an online presence that they should be looking at
1: yes uh it's it's mainly facebook um i was paying for a website for a bit but it's one of those it barely ever got looked at and i thought well i'm not bothering paying for that the majority of my work comes through facebook so if you want to check me out i'm on facebook as tom the tale teller so that's, that's my storytelling alias tom the tale teller um and you can find everything on there really. I am on Twitter at Teller Tom, and on Instagram but they barely ever get updated. I'm more of a Facebook man myself but it, it, it's all there.
0: It's all Excellent. There. So I will put links to those in the description below this video so that people can pop off and have a look at those. If you are interested in getting hold of a copy of Forest Folk Tales for Children, by Tom Phillips, then you can get that from the History Press. Uh, you can get it from all good bookshops, probably quite a few bad ones as well, uh, and from the normal online retailers that deal with these sorts of things. Uh, support your independent bookshops or the publisher directly if you are able to do so, will always be my advice in these matters.
1: Tom. Or or they could always buy direct from me, get a signed copy. And it helps me out more because the, the deal with the history press, I, I, I get more for the book. So, you know, I can feed my children that way.
0: Look at that. <laughs> as you can't go wrong with that, can you? And you can have uh, a signed copy as well. And I'm signed sure if coffee, somebody yeah. messages you on Facebook, you'll probably write a little dedication in the front for them too
1: yes i I, I love doing that i I feel famous it's great and i'm not but i feel it
0: (laughs) (laughs) perfect however you want to get hold of a copy i recommend that you do so tom thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about your work on the folklore podcast thank you i hope you enjoyed that interview with tom If you want to look at his work in more detail, then do follow the links which he referred to in the interview, which are posted down in the description below. You can also follow those to buy yourself a copy of the book if you want to do so. The Folklore Podcast Book Club and The Folklore Podcast are both offered completely free of charge. If you'd like to help us to continue to make this content... Do please follow the links in the description below, where you'll be able to visit our Patreon page and support us for extra rewards and bonus content, or make a one-off donation via our website. If you can't do either of those things and still want to help, then do please share our programming, share our main podcast and the items that you'll find on our YouTube channel, and do please, while you're here, subscribe to the channel to get notifications when we put up more videos thanks very much for watching and I'll see you again on the next episode of the Folklore Podcast Book Club. Bye for now.